Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This episode of The BIP Show is brought to you by Brookside Energy. Brookside Energy, one of the most exciting oil and gas companies listed on the ASX, is about to capitalize on record high oil and gas prices. With an existing solid production base and the first of over 20 planned new wells nearing production, Brookside Energy is about to join the ranks of top-tier Australian oil and gas producers. Brookside Energy, working with local communities to ensure sustainable growth and value creation through the safe, and efficient development of energy assets. And now, on with the show. How are you now? You're listening to The BIP Show. BIP is for business investing and policy. That's what we're here to talk about. Don't forget to hit the subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. I am James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. And as always, I am joined by Paul Colgan, Director at CT Group. How are you now, Paul? Hello. How are you, James? Yeah, mate, not too bad. Uh, lockdown continues, lockdown continues. Current recording time is which the 27th of July, 2021. It's uh, middle of the morning here. Uh, the market is open, and, and I'll be checking in uh, on bits and pieces. Copper price is up 4% uh, overnight, and uh, by the time you listen to this one, it should be up about another 20%, I'd say, easily giving it some estimations. Now, our next guest is uh, quite, quite funny. I, I, I actually have, have met this fellow once, uh, and it was it was a very weird sort of circumstance that, uh, that happened where it was – I'd, I'd seen this fellow on the front page of the business section of the Australian or the Sydney Morning Herald or some some rag, leaning up against some ridiculous red car, and uh, and then later that evening there was a a, a a dinner and drinks was put on by by some of the trading community around Sydney and Melbourne, and a few bits and pieces of had come from it uh, from all over the place to come and visit that, and I actually managed to meet it, it managed to meet this fellow. It uh, it was probably the Maybe the only time in my life when I actually met someone off the front page of the of the business section, and also met him that afternoon. I'm sure that that will happen anyway. But uh, you don't judge someone by, based on the car, and, and you don't judge someone based on 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 that. You judge the acts, and you judge who the character is. And he's actually one of the nicest people in, that I've met in this industry, and and a good, genuine fellow. And he's done some amazing things. So he's uh, former, uh, actually currently chief investment officer of Qatar Investments. Non-executive director of African Gold. I'm just reading through a LinkedIn profile here. Tell me if I'm wrong. Executive chairman of Aston Minerals, uh, former advisor, former broker, current broker, current advisor to Syrah Resources, former executive chairman of Syrah Resources. We'll go into a bit more pieces, bits and pieces with his history and background as he goes. Uh, former young rich lister. Um, it's uh, fantastic uh, to have him on the show. Welcome, Tolga Kamova, uh, all the way from Melbourne. How are you, mate? Thanks, James. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's exciting. I've been stuck in a house for the last couple of weeks and it's been hard to work and I kind of miss being in the office and I miss all the camaraderie and the banter. Um, but you guys are about to liven it up, so it's exciting. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I, I do try my best. Have you found Have you found that that, that that lack, just going sort of off-piece on this one, have you found the lack of that social interaction, the face-to-face and the, you know, the beers and the things like that is 
uh, you know, j- just that chatter has has maybe lacked something out of the, out of the broken in the advisory community. Yeah, mate. You know, this business it's all about relationships. It's all about you know getting to know the person you're dealing with. Um, so it's it's very frustrating for me, more so in the sense that I tend to like to meet the people that I'm investing in. So I'm not just a director of companies and I'm not just putting things together, but I also invest in others. Um, and over the last couple of years, we're dealing with this COVID restrictions and it's been it's been difficult. And there's been times, honestly, where I've invested in a company, I've you know, put a million bucks in or so, and um, I've gone to meet the person and in my head I'm thinking, if I'd have met you beforehand, I probably would not have given you the money. <laughs> um, and that, that that's one aspect. The other issue is... is Ninety-nine percent of the time, I'd, I'd do a site visit before I committed capital to something. And um, yeah, the last eighteen months, two years, not being able to get on a plane and go anywhere, it's been um, it's been kind of like like this. This business is, is like playing roulette as it is. But then removing that aspect, not even being able to see and feel and understand exactly what I'm looking at, is also frustrating. But um, I, I, to be honest, I actually miss more so the um. Just, just actually sitting out, sitting down with the brokers and fund managers and getting their ideas. Um, it's, I, I, I see what it is. That now that personal, personable sort of that the, the, the social guy. You know, if we could just sort of take a bit of a step back and just sort of see where that all came from, and um, you know, maybe for people who hadn't, who, who who aren't as familiar with you as 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 maybe some of the other trading community might be, but. Where did, where did where did today's Tolga come from from uh, from that for those past humble histories? Uh, Today's Tolga probably shouldn't be here, to be honest. Um, today's Tolga, my, my dad's a taxi driver. Mum was had lupus in her joints, so she couldn't work. Um, dad literally worked uh, seven days a week. I only, only really saw him in the mornings on a Sunday and a Saturday. Um, so my, my childhood, we didn't really come from much. Um, what did I do? I went to school in a local public school. Um, was a bit of a terror as a kid, but nothing's changed. Um, always been very passionate. But I mean, I worked a couple of jobs as a child. I was working in a car wash. I ended up owning a car wash with a mate of mine. Um, I worked at the fruit market. I was a spruker. So I was used to, I learned to make markets back when I was about 15, 16 years old. I knew what it was like to, to move a product depending on pricing and valuation. So kind of, um, I wanted to be a currency trader. So I went to uni at Monash in uh, Caulfield. And my dream was to be an FX dealer. Um, and again, my background, I don't really have the contacts and my parents didn't have the contacts or the relationship, so it was really hard to get in that industry. But um, I ended up uh, taking what was it, over five or six years before I got a job at um, Shaw Stockbroking, so, which was pretty exciting. Um, at the time, and I thought, and I, I took a massive pay cut to go there. So this is yeah. one of the defining moments of my life. I was working at ANZ, and I, don't know, I was probably on 80, 100 grand a year. So it was okay money for me at the time. Um, and I had a number of interviews. I had about six or seven interviews for a job as a dealer's assistant at Shaw Stockbroking. Um, and I remember I was sitting in a room with seven brokers. Or seven individuals, five of them were stockbrokers that I was going to work for directly, um, and I was like just in awe of these guys, thinking, "You guys move markets, you, you know, dealing with people's <laughs> livelihood." I had so much um, 
of like I'd say admiration and respect. I'm like, I want to be you. So I took a job with them, and I'll tell you the way. Just kind of you oh, probably could hardly live on it really, but um, it was about I was getting paid twenty seven thousand dollars a year, including super. So I went. <laughs> to, so yeah, you, you you do the math. Yeah. B- um, bowling, yeah. bowling, tol- Tolga, bowling. Yeah. Can you um get to? I I I know I know who those guys in the room probably would have been too. It's yours, mate. Would and uh, and they they won't move in any markets. But yeah, no. <laughs> they, Dude, they, yeah, I, I, don't get me wrong. I figured it out later that oh, they were all actually incredibly intelligent guys. But yeah, my my perception of what that what goes on yeah. behind the scenes is very different to reality. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can, can you? I know I'm going to give you the lead. I'm not sure if you like um telling it but there's a story that that is up there in the annals of, of really good yarns mate can you can you tell us the get us back get it back story it's um it it's one that i like to hear it's and and uh it, it's it's just a classic mate can you can you just please just for us is that okay yeah no i'll go through it um so it was oh, i can't remember the dates memory on this is kind of a period of my life i want to forget but um i keep getting asked to talk about it but my um when one day my, I was I was a stockbroker at this point, and I was a junior. Like I literally had just got my license, and my parents had sold their house and gave me the majority of the money to go and invest. Um, and I did, and I did quite well with it. Um, I can't remember exact numbers; it's been so long. But it was, I was up a couple hundred percent from memory. Um, but the stock that they were and the money and the cash was held at Opus Prime. Uh-huh. Um, and the reason why it was there is I didn't really need it to be there. It was, my mistake was um, I was trying to sh- – there was an ARB in the market where the, some of the options, and this is exchange-traded options, just normal company options, were mispriced. So I was borrowing stock, selling it, and then buying the options and exercising and making yeah. an ARB. And, I, and I, was, I was doing this on a daily basis. I was just literally analyzing the market. Um, and sometimes there are opportunities like this that present themselves. But I had all of my parents' assets – all their share portfolio there. Um, and it was all great for a while. And there, um, all of a sudden I get a phone call one morning, I was on the train, I'll never forget it, from my boss, Alan Zion. And he um, rings me up and says, Tolga, Opus is gone, your money's gone. And it's just like, I was on the train, I was packed. Um, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, well, I'll just pull it out, it's on him. And he goes, he goes, no, no, it's not on his, it's on their head. And I was, I'm, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? So I, I got off the train, ran straight to Opus's office, um, got there, and the, the doors are bolted. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is, this is what? <laughs> yeah, you can picture, picture my, my thought process, picture the expletives. And it wasn't just my parents, but it was – my clients, so one of my, like a number of my clients also had their money there. Um, and I'm like, how do I explain this to everybody and what do I do next? Anyway, that night I went home. I didn't tell my parents because I was freaking out and thinking there might be a solution. Something will come up, so I didn't tell anybody. Um, I mean, my clients obviously knew, you know, so I was dealing with that. But my parents, I didn't. And the next night I was like, oh, my God, I literally have to tell them. So I went home and... Down on the couch, set my parents down, and we'll bind you at this point. I mean, people don't will probably look at my life now is very, very different. My my house, my three bedroom house, was is basically the size of almost my bedroom um, now. So the house that we lived in back then with Barack um, yeah. was 
it was actually a two bedroom and my parents were here from overseas and I was sleeping on the couch. Like it was, and they were sleeping in my bed. So we didn't come from much and we didn't have much. And well, the money we did have, my parents gave me. Um, so to paint the picture, I sat them down in the lounge room and explained to mum and dad what had happened. And clearly my dad, first they were kind of a little bit of shock, not really understanding. And they're not market people, right? So the only person in the stock market that has any understanding of my family is my mum's uncle. And so I explained it to them and they, um, they got up, lost the absolute plot. And, you know, 25, 30 years driving taxis seven days a week, and he saved this amount of money to buy a house and he gives it to his son and his son's meant to be this, you know, smart guy. And I thought I was a smart guy. Um, and I basically explained to him it was going to be low risk. It's all up stuff. I'm doing these things. And it just all of it disappears in one go. He uh, literally berated me like you would not believe and rightly so. And at that point, I literally, I was, I would have been, I would have been happier dead, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah. You, it's, it's it's hard to comprehend, but just picture your mother and father and they've given you their life savings because they trust you and believe in you and then you come back a couple months later and say it's all gone. And, yeah. Um, yeah, just picture her. And not, even, not even from the arb trading, from the actual fundamental broking that it was into. It wasn't in like just, just the, well, it wasn't me. Yeah, the and, hollow feeling. And think about it, right? So in my head, I'm like, I didn't make the mistake of – the, the deal, the trade, whatever, it was literally just the people that I was trusting to, that I believed in, that I thought was on him, were, um, were basically just lying. So, and being deceptive. Yep. So it wasn't my fault, but I copped it. My mother, this is where it gets interesting. At this point, I'm literally just going to walk out and disappear. I'm going to jump off a cliff. Um, mother turns around and says, son, you know what? You're incredibly smart. I know you are. You've always have been. You, you, you understand topics really quick. You, understand, you get the situation really fast. And whatever situation I put you in, you've always been able to handle. You've got to figure it out. Just get up, pull yourself together, and go get it back. And she says, there's going to be a day in the future where you spend the money you lost today, and you're going to do it for fun, expecting nothing else but entertainment. And she goes, and you're going to do it again the next day and the day after. She goes, seriously? pull it together and go get it back. And I was like, in my head, I'm thinking, Jesus, I went from being the lowest to the most empowered. Because let's be honest, the most powerful person is the person that's actually got nothing to lose, like a wounded bull, willing to do anything. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what I was at that point. But as a boy, and I hate to say it, all us men kind of are, when mum comes around, you are still the boy, no matter who you, you are. <laughs> Um, it's you've been in, and I know myself and what my family life has been like. I've been ingrained that when my mother tells me something, all of a sudden I can go and do it. I've got to go do it. I don't have a choice. Like it's, it's like eat your veggies and Brussels sprouts and whatever you're going to do. It. Yeah. You just train that way. So mum's um, influence on me, <laughs> basically that night, I still remember it. I put my headphones on, and back then it was a iPod, not an iPhone. Um, and went for a run. My dad basically wouldn't talk to me. Um, and mum was just overly positive, overly optimistic, overly she's like, you've got no choice. You're going to do this. So, I, yeah, I went from being 
basically not wanting to breathe to feeling like I was so empowered um, that nothing was going to stop me. And it's phenomenal. And it seems like nothing kind of did. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, but, and on, on and on I went. Yeah. And then don't get me wrong, the things that I've achieved in my life, like if you're married with a couple of kids, you wouldn't be able to take the risks I did. You wouldn't be able to go to the deep, dark Africa and run around Mauritania for a month and, I don't know, sit in Ethiopia in the hotels trying to deal with politicians so you don't lose a license that you're trying to get because someone else's more influential, you know, got first right and lots of stuff. I mean, the things that I've gone through and achieved and seen, um, yeah, not many people should take those risks um, because it's it's not easy and it's it's and if you've got responsibilities, it's um it's going to be hard. I was a single guy with my mother telling me that with my parents having nowhere to live, <laughs> that I was going to do anything possible. So there you go. There you go. That is that's a cracking story. Um, Colgate, did you uh, are you with us, Stephen? Yeah, yeah. Um, Tolga, just wondering, um, just quick on the Opus Prime thing. So, uh, uh, how did it shape you in terms of thinking about, um, you know, brokerages, players in the market, uh, doing the right thing and making sure that they're um, above board and all that kind of stuff. What was how? How did it make you think about? Uh, market participants oh, taught me a lesson. <laughs> taught me a lesson like no other. Well, um, you, you've got to like as a person, and I'm speaking from a stockbroker's perspective. From the other side, it made me even more weary of every single document um, that you're looking at because you are dealing, and I was dealing with people's life savings, right? It's not just mine, my parents. Um, my clients, so it made you incredibly weary. And one thing I took away from it, and this is, and I give this advice to anybody: when you're playing in the junior end of the market, where we, where we're at, like where I sort of sit in, you're already levered. Like there's already serious leverage. One of these companies, I can give you many examples. They're all two-bit, tiny little speculative things. They're going to go drill holes, and you know most of them probably don't work. But the one that does, it far outweighs the risks. Um, when when it does come in, but you don't need to borrow. And this is this is my my philosophy. And, and other people got their own perspectives. And but from my experiences, I wouldn't borrow money to go and invest in this space because um, yeah, the probability it's already jacked up it, enough. Yeah, the probability is the downside. The risk returns massive already, um, and you don't want to get wiped out. Like the one thing that I do want about this industry, and especially in this end of the market, is. As long as you're still standing, as long as you're still able to look, you'll learn like from your mistakes. But if it wipes you out completely and you walk away and you're completely, you know, you've, you've been taken the cleaners and you, the banks are after you for money on top of it, you're not going to come back. Mm. You're going to yeah. be weary. You're going to be hesitant. You're going to have bitterness. There's going to be sore thoughts in your, in your back, on the back of your mind all the time. So you're not going to take the risk that you probably would um, and potentially the rewards to come with it. Can I ask you, you, you started off in trading um, and we'll get on to some of the things that uh, uh, you're working on at the moment uh, shortly, but you started off uh, in just trading, but now obviously these are more what you what you described earlier as, you know, as, as investments. Uh, how do you see the difference between the trade and the investment? When did that line, when did you cross 
that line? And do you still think in some ways uh, uh, of the big investments like seven, seven figures um, that you put into a company, do you still think of those in some ways a trade or um, has the mindset changed around that? Um, well, the, the difference between trading and investment is a time frame, right? Basically, you're, if you're trading, you're like, and I, I see people on Twitter and they put their posts, their daily updates, and but I'm sure they've got a portfolio in the background where they've got a longer term view on certain companies. I hope uh, they do. Yeah, and because like traders, and I've done this, and I, I won't go into too much detail about it, but I, I traded um, CFDs. This is back when I was trying to make my bankroll back. This is a post mum telling me to go get it back, and I'm. I borrowed money on a credit card and I was trading um, FX, Aussie, US, Euro, US, all that CFDs non-stop. And, I'm, and I won't get too much detail, but I made a lot of money. I t- I, the return was ridiculous in terms of from money that I put in to what I pulled out. I, was, I reckon it was about five, six, seven hundred percent. No, more. Good. Just enough to pay the credit card interest. Yeah, correct. <laughs> um, um, but I pulled that money out and I left uh, 30% of what I'd made in there. And I lost that in a day. The second I thought I knew what I was doing, it was gone the next day. I was in debt back to the, um, the CFD provider. And I thought, this is not for me. I can't do this. Because you basically just do not sleep. Because um, yeah. you've got to be thinking about it, looking at it all day, every day. You don't have a life. And I realized, you know, the quality of life versus taking a position, doing your work and understanding a position um, and understanding the risk of that position is uh, potentially more rewarding. But to answer your question properly, I had a client, one particular client, he was um, an executive director of Tabcorp prior to, to just being a trader and he was a gun and he was able to switch off from the emotion completely. Um, I don't think he... In the and we're, we're, we're trading Telstra calls, puts, bear spreads, bull spreads, all sorts of you know weird and wonderful um, strategies on all stock, all in the top twenty, obviously. But this guy would hardly ever crack an emotion. Like he wouldn't get upset, he wouldn't get too excited. Um, it was all just very, very calm energy. And I realized I don't really, you can't, it's, it's hard to do that. You need to be a unique individual and some people can do it and that's amazing. But for me, it wasn't um, my personality. My, I've got to sit back and actually be able to relax and enjoy a bit of life as well. But yeah, that was, that's kind of def- pushed me from trading is just the emotional um, talent you require to be able to do that successfully. I just, I just well, it's not me. So when, when, you, we'll, uh, when, you, when you are invested then in a company, do you feel you, do you think you have that emotional uh, attachment to it or are you ready to cut your losses when uh, things are not going as well as you'd hoped uh let me i'll give you an example i'll try and find an example there's a company i was buying shares in on market and in a placement and i had some projects well there were nothing special but they you know the chance was there but it was such a low valuation i was effectively i was buying a shell in my mind and um so it was wasn't a massive risk to me in my in my mind, um, but the thing is, once I buy, I'm there. Like it fails, I'm still there. If it goes up, I'm kind of there. So it it's, it varies for me um, in terms of my 
how do I put it, in terms of my relationship with the company. So I'm stuck. Uh, the size and volume that I'm in, unless the company's turning over millions and millions and millions of shares and dollars a day, then it's going to be very difficult for me to get out anyway. Yeah, there's no exit. There's no exit without dumping the entire thing. Yeah, yeah no. and, and then you just think about it. When Tog come over buys, people you t- t- tend to think about buying the stock just because I've done it. But And I want to say this right now before I keep going. What I do with my portfolio is very different to what other people should do. Um, my, my thought process is very different to everybody else. Um, and I just want to qualify. This is not advice. I'm not giving people advice. I'm just saying what I do. No, no, we got a general advice warning on the, on the whole show. It's sort of, it's, uh, it's implied and also stated too. But yeah, go on. Um, so I'm stuck there. And I'm stuck there to the extent that and I won't sell a stock unless something has happened with management. Because for me, I'm, I'm buying the guy, really, at the end of the day. I'm buying into the person. Um, because most, let's be honest, a lot of these projects, drill programs, you, you, it's a lot of risk. And the probability of it coming off, like turning into a Bellevue, is very, very small. But I'm trying, and I'm looking for it. I'm trying to minimize the risk with everything that I know and the relationships that I have. But if it doesn't turn into a Bellevue and it falls over, I've, I'm, I'm still there. Um, and the company needs to be recapitalized, potentially needs to look for a new project. So I've got to go help in that process. So I'm committed to the person and to the business. Um, whether it be the particular project I invested in on or whatever comes next. But the only time I tend to sell is if, and I'll qualify this, is when management have told me one thing and it turns out it's another. And that's, and I would say all cases, there are times where I sell things just because. Um, there might be a number of reasons why I'm doing it. But majority of the time, it's, it's literally just that relationship um, with the director's it, that yeah, leads, trust is trust is so important. That, yeah, that 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 um, leads me very nicely into um, what I, I'm sure a lot of people want to hear about is um, what do you like now? Um, so, um, uh, what's the uh, what's the next deal? Um, bearing in mind that thing we just said, general in nature only, general conversation, not advice. <laughs> general general advice absolutely goes across the whole thing. So, what's um, what's the next deal, Tolga? You know, the thematic, the strongest thematic in Australia, and so globally right now, um, is energy. Anything to do with electrification and the reduction in fossil fuel to create that energy is is probably front and centre for every investor's mind. If you're not looking at it, you're not paying attention to it, you're you're you're, you're going to be left behind. Um, so. I mean, we'll probably go into more of the macro and structural themes and that sort of stuff later. But just investing in that space, and one of the one of the things I've recently done is um, anything to do with lithium-ion batteries. So anything to do with lithium, with cobalt, nickel, graphite. We'll talk about Syrah later. Um, manganese. So from the actual lithium battery, anything to do with the electrification. So looking at different uranium opportunities. Um, then the other one that I'm, I'm actually the last couple of years I've been thinking about um, and been basically been pegging these licenses for a while now um, is the silica sand yeah. um, for, for the PV solar cell industry. And that, that market, I think, is already exploding and is going to continue. Um, so I'm associated with a well, – I put a deal together a couple of years ago with a gentleman by the name of Julian Babazzi and put 
some assets, silicon sand assets in WA into a thing called PEC, Petrol Resources. Um, yep. And I know the influx of inquiries from the Chinese, Japanese, and Korean um, trading houses and solar panel manufacturers is amazing. Like they're seeing massive growth, and you've got this um this sort of divergence, and you're seeing in a lot of commodities at the moment where the supply is getting constrained due to environmental reasons, due to quite a number of reasons, and diminished supply. Um, scientifically, is mined from riverbeds um, from Indonesia, Malaysia, all through that part of the world, but they've, um, they've been restricting them. They've almost got cartels on this stuff right now. And Australia is in such a unique position. There's quite a number of high-quality silica sand deposits on the east coast of, um, of WA and a couple in Queensland, by the way. Um, but that is an opportunity that I don't think anyone's paying attention to. Um, but when the mainstream market, when my fund managers realize once the offtake deals are done and the funding's in place, and they're real low capex operations, so you don't really need a massive funding exercise on these things, um, yeah. it's, it's going to be front and center and potentially print a lot of capital. From what would be new technology to maybe as soon as old technology, but still an amazing company, Brookside Energy, an exciting ESG-focused ASX-listed oil and gas company, record high oil and gas prices, an existing solar production base, and the first of over 20 planned wells about to come on production make Brookside Energy a compelling story. I think we put that thing together a couple of years ago. It was two cents, now trading at 12. And I, like I said, it's, it's got some studies coming out, which I think is going to do real well. Um, the other one that I've just listed is a company called Industrial Minerals. It's quite, quite a number of projects, quite a number of sand projects. It's got a gypsum project. Um, it's, again, the primary focus on this is going to be the the silica sand, the high purity sand market. And I, I, I don't think it's just these two companies um, that'll do well. I think across the board, all of them, I mean, I don't understand. I haven't delved into each one of the intricacies of getting these things developed on each of the projects. I don't know the details um, on all of them, but the sand market, I think, is going to be a big um, sort of export market for Australia going forward. This is going to so be that, a really that, stupid question, uh, Tolga, but what's uh, silica sand used for? Uh, well, the primary application, which I'm excited about, using a number of things, but it's just glass. The main application is glass, and with when it has incredibly low iron content, they use it for the um, the PV solar cells, so the actual glass on the panel, mm. um, and that market's growing. Uh, and it's yeah, it's um, it's probably the main application which I'm excited about. Um, but the the su- supply constraints coming out of China, I mean, I posted this thing on them, the main river, which has turned into a lake that produced they produce some. Silica sand from in China is effectively just being decimated. There's a there's a Reuters article on it recently that um that you go back and read just Google Sands China um like destruction and it'll and it'll come up um which goes into a lot of detail but it's 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 good. you've got the supply being constrained and you've got demand blowing up and you know what happens when you make a market and those two applica- um factors are involved so that's that's probably the latest deal that I've been on. There's another one called Firebird, which is another, again, battery thematic manganese plug. Um, Northern Western Australia, just just playing that same same theme. Um, but I've got a, another one that's that it's, it's interesting, but it doesn't really go along that thematic. It's basically just with some iron ore assets that we've been sitting on for quite a number of years now. Um, 
which we're probably going to bring to market to IPO um, over the next sort of couple of months, which are really interesting. And, and the iron ore price is where it is today. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of fundamental and structural shifts that occur to take the price where it is. And there's, um, there's probably a number of things which will bring it back down at some point. Um, Do you know what but, the cost of production is? Have you got an estimate for that? No, no, no. This is going to, this is a brand new play. I can't talk about it until this prospectus is completed and put out, but um, mm. but it's going to be interesting, and it'll be uh, yeah, I suspect there'll be a lot of demand for this one. Can I can I ask you? Um, so one of the features of the Australian market is all these tiny little um, uh, resources speculators, yeah, uh, like tiny tiny things. Um, you know, uh, a guy in a, a metal detector kind of size of company you know um, <laughs> and a big bag full of yeah. insurance mate. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so so what i'm really interested in in hearing from you is what's your how do you think about like separating the what looks like an interesting investment but given that there's so much of these ultra micro cap um you know and some of them are just garbage they've got um you know yeah. they've got a license over a bit of land but and they might say that there's that they've got, that they think that there's X or Y deposits on it, but there's no certainty. So, and because well, what's interesting here is what you were saying about, you know, overseas investors trying to get into this space. There's lots of hungry capital out there. Um, but so how do you assess uh, those opportunities? Um, you could say management, right? But management, they don't, there's, there's a saying that I have in the office and I tell everybody, it's like it's not the man that makes the deposit. It's the deposit that makes the man. Um, all these guys that are out there looking at their projects and they haven't been drilled, they don't know what's there. Like they can make all these assumptions. They can do all the geophysics. They can do all the soil sampling. They can do all, do all of that stuff. But until you drill it, you just don't know. Um, it's obviously the, the, the managing director's job to, to promote it enough to get enough capital to go and drill the holes and hope that he gets it right, hope that it's there. And then all of a sudden, you've got, you become a rock star. Mm. Right? So these directors, they, they all, but some of them that I know probably don't deserve the accolades they're getting, and some do deserve the accolades and what they've done, what they've achieved. But it doesn't matter because the deposit makes them end. Um, and um, you know, I've experienced it a couple of times in my life. But in terms of seeing the different assets, it's really a couple of things. Well, do I, would I, would I like getting to know the directors and the, the individual in charge who's actually going to drive it? If, and it's a very limited, if they succeed, do I want to go and have a, a drink with them? Do I actually want to celebrate them? Are they a nice, good people? Like, are they good blokes? He's probably one of the, the top of the list. Um, and then, then from there, it's just analyzing every single opportunity for its merit and what commodity it's in. If it's and it, do I think the commodity price potentially will save a not a tier one deposit um, just because if the commodity price goes up does it make it economic and it's one thing to find a deposit it's it's another thing for it to be incredibly economic to the point where you want to build it and develop it and sink the capital to actually um, and the infrastructure to, to to have an operation so yeah there are quite a number of factors and I couldn't go through all of them it's you know it depends on which commodity you're in what grade it is what depth the deposit is. Is it a porphyry? Is it a epithermal? Is it you know a BIF formation? What well, it, it all depends. Going into a little bit, sort of keeping it broad but not too specific on on the bits and pieces. Do you have? And then I'll go into some talk about graphite, mate. But the 
do you have models in your in your shop about exactly sort of where you see things going? Like you're saying, so if it comes in as a tier two or a tier like a, a, a lesser tier holding that's under the ground, after all, all is said and done, and yeah. you've got a model that says that this is going to set X, how, how are you pulling those models together? So, oh, so you do it in each one individually. Um, to understand exactly what you're sitting on and what the costs are to develop it and operate it. Um, there's sometimes opera projects come in and they're not they're just not big enough. But then you know, go and use your relationships to see if there's an operating plant around you that you can do a deal with. Um, a typical example is a thing called Firefly. Now the first resource came out, a couple hundred thousand ounces, gram and a bit, it's nice. Um, but then you're like, okay, well, we're not gonna develop a mine off the back of this, we're not gonna build a plant. But there's a plant 30 kilometers away that needs feed. Can you do a deal? Can you do you have a relationship? Um, you can marry the two of them together, and which is exactly what we've done with a company called Gascoigne. And you know, it's in probably six nine months that thing will be should be. I say should um, processing that ore and obviously providing income and profit from it. So it, it really depends, and there's you know so many ways to create value. Like it doesn't need to be a tier one. Obviously, that's what you're looking for, and that's what you hope for. But um, it doesn't need to be. And where are you, where are you modelling your your actual your base metals and and resource prices from? Oh, you know, what? I don't really look at it too closely in terms of the the actual individual price because our market, this market, it's cyclical. Oh, one day, and I'll give you a perfect example. Look at New Century Resources, one of mine that we put together. Um, yeah. We bought the assets off MMG. Um, when we when we raised the money originally for that, zinc prices were like a buck sixty a pound, and the treatment charges, which is what the smelters charge to process your ore, was about thirty dollars. By the time we got the project in operation, um, zinc price was eighty cents, so it's halved, and your treatment charges three hundred dollars. So it, it's almost impossible to predict that like I wouldn't be able to say oh it's going to half in you know six months and the treatment charge is going to go up ten to tenfold yeah and in it's that market, no one's making money yeah so it's it's I don't particularly look at the commodity prices because right now zinc price is going back to a dollar thirty dollar thirty five now they're making money again so like that company 12 months ago not even 12 months ago is probably you know, gonna hit the wall and now it's this quarter I think it's gonna make about 30 million bucks it's 120 million dollars either for the year was projected yeah, and that's so, the, that's that's the top end yeah it's so that, that's our industry so people sometimes are like oh you know when fund managers get judged or investors like me get judged i like i don't control the macro i don't control the commodity price all we're doing is making an investment based on the quality of the project um and the macro sometimes suits and we look like rock stars and sometimes it doesn't and we don't well crossing off that and Jimmy James Whelan, king of the Segway. I'm looking at uh, a stock that I used to hold, and, I've, and I, I rode this one the up and downs as well, it's, uh, and, and it's part of your origin story as well, Syro Resources too, which is one that, that I sold and, you know, it was good and profit, but then you don't really look at for a while. It's gone up, and I've, I've, I actually just looked at it the other day. It just hasn't come up on my radar. I looked at it the other day, and it was going, holy Christmas, this thing has absolutely just, uh, just taken a bit of a jump off the last few days. So the timing couldn't be better, but Graphite obviously doing quite well. Now, we're not going to talk about graphite, although we could do it later. But the just talking about this one now, you, you, it's it's easy when you're out there and you're holding it, and people know that you that, that that you are a part of this stock, 
and you're on the Twitter and you're on the Instagram and you're on all the all the things, it's easy to make yourself a target, especially in this market, in this space, in this country. How do you, do, do you find it gets to you? Does it change your thinking? Does it change your rationale when when you've got names and people who, who, who might just be at you about some of these holdings that you've got and just get that doubt coming at you? Um, not when I'm in my positions, no. I've got conviction. Otherwise, I wouldn't be who I am. Um, if I had have walked away at the first sign of being uh, abused or berated or you know, all that type of stuff, if I would walked away at the first sign of that happening, then I wouldn't be here. Like, I would have walked away a long time ago. I would have walked away when I lost my parents' life savings. And, like, my whole life I've been fighting. Like, I didn't, I've never been given anything. It's always been a, um, it's literally been a fight the whole way here to this point where you guys are, I'm lucky enough to have you guys want to talk to me and for people to want to listen to this. So, that's not going to, oh, I'm not that type of guy. I just don't go away. I've, um, and it doesn't change my strategy. It doesn't change my thinking. Um, it's it's that's that's not going to get me there. I'm not going to say it motivates me because I'm already so high energy. I don't know if you're from the way that I talk, the way that I act, the things that I do. You can tell I'm like I've got my fingers in that many different businesses and opportunities and people that I work with. So that that's not going to change me at all. Where I'm um where it kind of excites me, it's, it's then it's more of a challenge. Like, what can I do? What more can I do? What more can I see? What more can I achieve? How many more people can I meet um, to, to learn about what opportunities they have and what they're thinking? Um, it's probably my, um, probably my biggest skill, biggest talent, is the relationships I build and the being able to stand up no matter what comes your way. Um, but in terms of my investments, if I've got – if they – I don't I – don't, I don't make the outcome like in these situations. We're usually drilling holes and exploring for things. It's uh, the outcomes are dictated by Tolgamova. The outcomes dictated by what Mother Nature's done, and the geologist putting the holes in the ground. So people that are like going, it's it's Tolga. I'm not, I don't do the actual work, and I don't drill the holes, and I didn't put the gold or the nickel or the cobalt or the iron ore there. Um, Mother Nature did, and I'm taking a risk, putting my capital and my reputation on the line every single time I do it. Um, and people don't understand that. And they probably don't understand the things that I've gone through to get to this point where I'm actually able to do it. Um, they probably don't know. I've spent weeks in the deserts in Sahara looking for gold and realizing it's, at some point this doesn't make any sense. Or on the border of Somalia and Kenya in Ethiopia looking at for gold deposit where there's United Nations are building up peacekeeping camps. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Examples. Uh, on the northern Tanzania driving along where um, there's all these big black mud flats, which I later found out they're actually just ilmenite. Um, so we went and pegged those. Like, I've been searching for gold deposits in, in head-high grass in the middle of nowhere in Mozambique. Like, things, things I've done and seen, um, so I kind of understand what works when, I, when I'm talking to somebody. Um, just those, that knowledge is... Yeah, yeah, I've got that experience. I know what kind of what should work, what could work, and in terms of making my, my assessment and risk assessment, um, yeah, so, I think so I've got a bit of an When you're doing business in those parts of the world, uh, one thing that's very different is, you know, Australia is really famous for um, uh, having, 
lots of process, right? Um, uh, lots of process, lots of forms, lots of applications, approvals that are uh, different in um, uh, in uh, emerging countries, particularly in Africa. Um, how do you manage all that risk? But you know, um, with things like um, you know maybe um, troublesome or uh, e- even you know. Uh, corrupt officials, or um, uh, how do you how do you deal with all that stuff? Well, it's all relationships in that part of the world, um, and I think if you go there with the right attitude and the genuine attitude that you know, if you do find something, it, the people, the local people, are going to be rewarded and compensated for it, and if they genuinely feel that you you will do. Um, your best to make sure there's an outcome for them because um, I mean the way I look at it really when, when someone gives you a mining license in Africa it's it's not your land they're just giving you a, a right to dig some of their dirt up and take it away those, those people have been living there for thousands of years right so and I, I think of the example of Sarah when we're going for our mining license um, and basically doing all the compensation payments for all the farmers where the people that had their crops on top of the deposit um, like these these crops these plots of land have been the same family same for, for you know their dad's 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 dad um, and when they are explaining it to me I was like how do I all you, you guys have given us permission to come to your country to your land and, um, and dig some of your soil up it's, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like a gift to be honest, because I, I just think about my grandparents in Turkey and my grandfather's farm. Someone come up, turn up to try and dig a hole in it, take some of the rock away. He would be pretty scared, number one, pretty worried, pretty paranoid, thinking they're going to do something to it. Um, that's that's not going to be untoward. And he'll be thinking about his family, the next generation, the generation after that. So it's actually just having the right attitude and making sure they feel comfortable. Um, and again, relationships. Yeah. Being able to explain the process properly is um, probably the forefront. Um, you, you said earlier that you don't really pay too much attention to the macro environment, etc. But obviously, you, you do keep an eye on what is happening in commodity prices, and like. So it has been a very, very interesting year. You mentioned iron ore, but also we've got um, uh, oil. Uh, you know where it is. Uh, copper looking very strong. Um, there's a lot of questions about you know whether supply chain. Uh, constraints are um, are squeezing prices a bit. Um, do you think we're in a bit of a super cycle uh, at the moment? Are we at base camp, or do you think it might come off uh, soon? Oh, you know, with negative real interest rates, you, you're not going to hold cash, and you're not. Well, most people aren't, I should say, but um, you're not going to hold debt positions because effectively just losing money on them. Um, the purchasing power is going through the floor. So you're going to buy assets, which is what's happening. Um, in terms of super cycle, I think we're already in one. Uh, if you're looking at the iron ore price, looking at the copper price, it's making these massive moves, you know, 4% in a night. Um, zinc price, it's gone from 80 cents to $1.35, $1.40. Companies that aren't making money in this price environment are probably going to struggle if you're not already profitable. Um, but yeah, I think we're in, then, then you've got this massive infrastructure spend that's gonna, that the, all the governments globally are talking about. I mean, we're, we're, Australia's gonna be in such a fortunate position and it's effectively 
hate to say it, this iron ore price and the commodity prices, especially the iron ore price, is um is making our politicians look incredibly smart. Yeah, yeah, getting kicked, and they're not kicked, kicked in the behind by a rainbow. Yeah, yeah, it's making them look smart. Um, you know, I think it was statistic last in June, fifty percent of Australia's foreign income was the iron ore price. Um, so it's effectively we we as Australians are so lucky that these miners are carrying us out of this headache. Um, the, the thing called COVID, in terms from a financial perspective, um, I, th- I don't think it's going to do it the whole way. But still, with um, well, yeah, we're we- being able to capitalise on it the way we have is um is is is, is carrying us. So that's exciting. Um, and and there's but there's also you know we do make our own look a little bit by having great processes, great companies. Um, you know, the, the process has let us down a little bit from time to time, but, um, uh, you know, yeah. we do have great companies that um, that uh, are extremely good. They are, you know, obviously the world leaders in doing what they do. And, um, you know, we've got great people, great engineers, all that kind of stuff. So there's a bit of making our own look in it. And yes, but we'll definitely take it, right? <laughs> yeah, Paul, I'll say this. Um, I mean, this is why I do this. This is why I invest in this side of the, this end of the market. People like Andrew Forrest, Fortescue was a shell. Yeah. It was a shell company. It was nothing 20 years ago. It didn't exist. Right? Someone that would have been, someone invested in that shell. Someone was there. Someone made an absolute fortune backing that guy. How many people does that Fortescue now employ? How much foreign income does it actually bring? These little companies that can turn, the potential that it can turn into something like this. Like Bill Beaumont with Northern Star with his gold. It was a shell. I remember buying it like five cents. Um, and now look at it. He's built this beautiful business along with them. Um, yeah, it's merged with Saracen now. But um, <clears throat> even them, all these little companies, Independence Group, once upon a time, I remember when I first started stockbroking, it was a shell. Like now it's got these people that manage these teams um, and they are large exporters of metal from this country. So they're backing those people and fighting those companies are why I actually do this. Yeah, um, I've got a last question for you, super quick. Um, you got, might need to cast your mind back to your um, to your FX trading days. But we're asking every guest that we have on the BIP show, uh, and I keep talking about how the first couple of episodes of this season we did, you know, entire shows on this topic. Uh, but it's inflation, um, and now we're just doing a super quick question at the end. Do you think it's transitory or not transitory? Uh, with the amount of money that's been printed, the money supply that's been pushed in the system, and the sort of spending that's going on currently, and with at some point finding a solution to COVID, yeah, probably going to continue this trajectory. Is is my my opinion? So that sounds like another. That sounds like another vote for not transitory there, Cogger. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. One of the few, and um, so so um, maybe uh, interesting for rates. Okay, I'm done. You are done. Uh, I think that I am done as well. And just ticking through, uh, Togger, If there's nothing else to add, I'm uh, I'm going to wrap the show up now, mate. With a uh, with a one short bits and pieces. One thing I do want to add. I actually want to congratulate. And this is just just me hijacking your show for a second. Is um, Steve Parsons for doing what he's done with Bellevue? Um, he came into that company when it was a two cent shell. I think we raised money at two cents when he when he came and joined the board. Um, and the team that he's built, the the deposit that he's found, 
and the way he's carried that forward and the funding and the the, the, the um his strategy has is, is something that I um I, I just want to show that I appreciate. That's sensational. That's so, very yeah, good of you. Yeah. Big heart. I'm just thinking of Bellevue. I think I was in. I was in after IPO, and I got out for about a ten percent profit, mate. So that's just about as I saw that thing. Yeah, no, I, 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 it doesn't happen every day. I had literally. I think it was, I was a larger share. I have fifty something million shares, fifty six. I can't remember. I mean, I've sold quite a few of them now because I'm obviously it was such a large holding in my portfolio. But yeah, I'm still there in a major way. But he's 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 carried that business, and I you know he's done incredibly well. No, okay, well, that's, uh, that's, that's beautiful words, mate. Great sentiment. Um, and, uh, look, th- thanks for coming on. I'll just, I'll just wrap it up now uh, with a quick, uh, quick word from our sponsor, Brookside Energy, one of the most exciting sustainable growth oil and gas companies listed on the ASX for investors wanting exposure to rising oil and gas prices. The stock code is BRK. I'm, I've, got it, uh, I've got a chart of the stock at the corner of my eye, and uh, it's going to make a lot of super funds pretty happy today. So... Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show. We're on Twitter. It's at the underscore Bip underscore show. And we're on Facebook too. Just search Bip Show. I have a website. <laughs> Good for me. Which is also hosting all the extras. Um, Tolga, if you could send us uh, the bits and pieces that you, that you wouldn't mind having onto there, maybe something about yourself or the process, or I don't know, maybe just a link to your Instagram account. It's pretty wild. Uh, yep. There's that too, and I also go through a few trades and positions. And gee, I reckon we got a few trades for the for the trade that paid today, Colgo. Uh, on that one, um, Google Wheel and Capital, and follow the links to the Bip Show individually at Colgo. I am at James Wheelan forty two, and Mister Kumova is at Kumova Tolga, all one word. So last name, first name on that one. Uh, don't forget to hit subscribe and rate the show. We love five-star ratings, and uh, it's pretty easy to click those five-star ratings. Thank you, Tolga, for uh, for being a guest on the show today, mate. Thanks, James. Appreciate it, Paul. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thanks, Tolga. No Thank you, Paul, uh, for joining us, Paul. Yeah, that was good fun. Yeah, not bad at all. Thank you, Paul, boys. Uh, this show is produced by Rick Salter. G'day, Rick. Uh, nominee edits today, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.